We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies EdTech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com BE. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I'm your host, Jethro Jones, and you can follow me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. This episode is brought to you by John Cat Educational, a professional development publisher serving as the global leader in combining both research and practice in all materials. Find timely PD publications to support yourself and your faculty by visiting them online at us.johncatbookshop.com. Great instruction gets students engaged. TeachFX equips teachers with the instructional strategies and job-embedded feedback they need to get students engaged in virtual or in-person classes. Learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer at teachfx.com slash transformative principle. Welcome to Transformative Principle. I am very excited to have Travis Lape on the program today. Travis is entering his fourth year as Innovative Programs Director for Harrisburg Schools District in Harrisburg, South Dakota. In this role, Travis has helped shift the Harrisburg School District to a system of personalized learning. In 2015, Travis was recognized for his work with integrating technology into classrooms by being named Thai Technology Leader of the Year. Travis believes that by empowering learners to drive their learning, we can start to create a new system that honors all learners and their cultures. Welcome, Travis. Thanks so much for being on Transformative Principle. Hey, thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to talk with you. We also have a mutual friend, uh, Darren Elwain, who's been on the program before. We met a couple of years ago at a principals conference, uh, I think back in Philadelphia or something like that. And it was great to get to know you there. And I'm kind of embarrassed it's taken me this long to get you on the program because you've been doing great stuff for a long time. Well, I'm just excited to share our story. (laughs) And Darren is a good guy. And I actually snapped a picture of us because I was like, hey, look who I'm hanging out with today. Just kind of rub it in his face a little bit. 
Excellent. Very good. What I appreciate about the work that that you're doing in in Harrisburg is that you're in this no-name city in South Dakota that nobody knows anything about, and yet you're doing just amazing things for the students and have been for many years, like I said. So one thing that I want to talk about is when the pandemic hit and you guys knew you wouldn't be um, going back to school like usual, you created a brand new school in like 10 minutes. And it was amazing to see how nimble you could be. Can you talk us through that process of creating a brand new school in such a short amount of time and describe what the school's purpose is? Yeah. So for us, it was kind of dropped on my plate last minute. We knew we were going to have to offer some sort of a virtual academy or distance learning option for our learners in Harrisburg that just didn't feel comfortable coming back to -to face-to-face. So we've been face-to-face since August and we offered some of our families that needed to stay home for other choices an opportunity to still learn. And so again, now thinking through that, um, they said, hey, Travis, you're the Innovative Programs Director. Do you think you can pull this off and create some sort of new learning experience for us? And so I said, well, I said, the elementary is going to have to look completely different than what the middle school and high school looks like. The middle school and high school went a different direction with what their distance learning looks like for their learners. But at the elementary level, we really focused on... um, thinking outside the box, so to speak, of what does a day look like at home for kids? Like we can't have kids on Zoom sessions for 40 minutes for all of their subject matters. Like that's just, it's not realistic. It's not feasible and it's not healthy. It it just wouldn't be good for our kids. And so we used a lot of components from the distance learning playbook from Hattie, Fisher and Fry as a framework of like things to think about when you're creating this new environment. What I was very blessed with is I I have five amazing educators who are flexible thinkers, willing to try things, willing to enter into this unknown and wrestle with the tough things that happened to us those first three to six weeks of school. We really came in at it thinking like, we're providing something unique to our learners. What does that look like? And what if we tried something different? And so we, we've kind of had that mindset throughout the semester. And we've really partnered with our parents, um, constantly asking them for feedback and constantly digging into what can we do more um, to support them at home and what does academics look like? What does the model look like now? Because you're not doing Zoom sessions all day long. And so parents have to take a more active role. You've been seeking feedback from them. What does that model look like today? So today, for a second grader or a third grader for us, they'll have their math, their reading, and their writing time. Um, We have a flex time for them, and that flex time is kind of integrated into experiential learning. So it could be a, a virtual field trip. It could be covering something for science and social studies. But the core academics, that instruction really happens, is around our math, our reading, and our writing focus. Every kid gets 20 minutes of instruction for each one of those subject matters. 20 to 30 minutes at most. And they're in small group instruction. And we're able to group and regroup learners based on what they need and when they're ready for it. Every week, we have about 145 kids at the elementary level in our distance learning environment. And so every Saturday morning, I send out a new weekly schedule personalized to every child that has their Zoom schedule for the next week. Because the thing that is the thing that's hard in distance learning is we've got to be more predictable, um, and we can't be as limber as we are in the classroom with kids of grouping and regrouping kids, because 
it's super difficult for parents to transition that and get into a routine or into a structure. So we had to give up some of that nimbleness of grouping and regrouping kids and saying, okay, for this week, these are my focuses. This is where I'm going with this group of kids, but it allows you to have small group instruction every day with, with, with our learners. And it allows us to be able to share with our families. This is your week plan. So at nine o'clock, we have morning meeting. So every kid gets on and has morning meeting with their teacher. Then about 9.20, they go into their small group math instruction. So five to six kids on a Zoom call so we can engage and interact with them. They're on there for 20 to 30 minutes. And then another five to six kids come on for Zoom for math. And then those kids go off and they can work on their math assignment for the day or their project that they're working on. So that all just varies um, from asynchronous to synchronous learning. And we've tried to balance that and not have kids on Zooms for long periods of time, just from the engagement standpoint. So a student would be going to a morning meeting with their teacher at nine o'clock, then they may be off from 920 to 940. And then they get back on at 940 with their teacher. That process sounds like it makes sense. And it's interesting. We're going to get into this a little bit later, but it's interesting that you say that you have to be less nimble with this approach than you are in the regular classroom because you've been doing this for so long that you're very flexible in the regular classroom. So we'll talk about that in a minute, but I just want to point that out. So the kids go for these short amounts of time, they're in small group instruction and they they get what they need. How has the parent reception been to changing schedules each week? If it's nine to 9.20 and then 9.40 to 10, that may not be that big a deal. That might actually be a great little break. Um, but if it is nine to 9.20 one week and then 1040 to 11 another week, and then 920 to 940 the next week, that could be challenging for families to get used to. How are you managing that with the families? So we really are careful with that for that exact reason. Um, And so we try to stay in some, some static groups for long periods of time, at least three to four weeks before we mess up a schedule time. If we're going to mess up a big schedule shift, meaning we're going to move a group because kids are now ready to kind of shuffle again, they do that after about three to four weeks of having kind of that same routine. We've just tried to be very clear with families that this is the reason why we need to be able to mix up groups. We still need to be able to put kids where they're at. And if they're still struggling with a concept, still support them in that and not just push them along. But to do that, we're going to have to change times. And so for the first probably six weeks of school, that was the hardest thing for our families because we were almost changing schedules weekly because we were still trying to figure out like what is the best, what's the best structure, what's the best routine, how are kids getting on and off. So we were changing pretty frequently after that. But we said, once we get through this initial trial of let us play with some things, trust us, be patient with us then we're going to get into it where it's, it'll be more predictable for you. And that has helped a hundred percent is trying to have that same routine every week for them. And so then we move kids, but we don't shift all 28 kids in a class. We don't mess up all of their schedules. It might just be a pocket of kids depending on what they are needing. Yeah. And it's important to, to note that and pay attention to it because for a family to have a different schedule every week, that can be, disorienting that can be challenging and it could mess up other things that they have going. I appreciate you taking the time to go through that. What feedback have you gotten from parents that has caused you to change how you were doing 
some things beyond just the scheduling of kids? What are some other feedback that you've gotten from parents that's made you go in a different direction? I have a kindergartner at home and my wife and I are both educators and we know nothing compared to what his teacher knows. You know, I mean, he knows we both work in the school system. He sees me at school, but if I want to sit down and do sight words with him or letter sounds or numbers, it's us fighting constantly. And that's what's happening with our families at home. So it's, it's, it's a realistic thing. I, I actually had a call today with a, with a mom who just was at her wits end. She's like, I'm fighting with my daughter every day to do her assignments or do her work. And it's just becoming really hard. And, you know, and so having those real conversations with our families and saying, Hey, I hear you. I see you. This is what we can do. Some of it is thinking flexibly with, can we bring those kids safely into our school? Uh, Because our distance learning teachers teach in one of our schools that aren't fully populated. We have space, we have classroom space. Can we bring them in for an hour? twice a week and just have them come in and and just do some work with us. That may really help us to build on that, to think through that process with our families. But I think it also gives our families support and knowing that we're we're with them. We we understand what they're struggling with and we want to support them. The other thing we've had to think differently about is one of our teachers does this really well. She's got a couple learners who Families have requested that, hey, can my kid just be on Zoom and just work? Like They don't need to be interacting with anybody, but I need them just to have some accountability to be on a Zoom call. And so she opens up a Zoom room and the kids come in and she throws them individually into, into a breakout room. And so as she's teaching, they can hit the little help button on in their breakout room and she knows they need some help. And so when there's a good time to break or she can go in, she'll just pop into that breakout room real quick and and check in on them. We've started to really work with our families to find out what's best for them and how to support them because it is it is hard on them. They're they're being asked to do a lot at home, um, especially when we talked about, you know, they're only on for 20 to 30 minutes of direct instruction. Then the independent work would be what we traditionally have stations or rotations in our classrooms. Well, now families are having to do that. And so um, really thinking through that and supporting our families has been key and getting feedback from them and letting them know that we're there to support them. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense. And I, I appreciate that there's still some flexibility in how things are done. And and that's really important. In my family, we've had similar experiences with my son or my other daughters not wanting to learn from us, but being perfectly willing to learn from a stranger. So it's so fascinating. I'm an educator myself, and you would think that I'd have this down pat with my own kids, but there are challenges that we have just in the familiarity and the knowing our kids, you know, and then there are families that, you know, they, the kids are totally different at home and can learn from their parents, no problem, and really struggle learning from people in school. And I think that What the pandemic has really taught me is that we really need to be aware and sensitive to what everybody is going through and what their experiences are. For a long time, I've been advocating that the system itself is not working for everybody. So we need to adjust it so that it can work for everybody. And we need to be flexible in how we do that. So in your district, in Harrisburg, you've been doing personalized things for students for for many years. So this isn't new to you, 
But I want to shift to a bigger conversation about education and about our schools in particular. How can we be more nimble so that we can provide more flexible opportunities for our students as time goes on? I think the big thing for us that we've realized, and we even had this conversation before we went on break, is we've got to start having a conversation around what is important. (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm. Because distance learning, we are moving at a snail's pace compared to what you can move at inside a, a, a classroom with kids. And so I think what it's really shown us is that are there better ways to do things to deliver content, to deliver information to learners and not cover as many, as many standards? And do you cover them more broader in the sense of that allowing kids to go deeper in their learning um, when they understand the concept versus trying to go deeper when they're still struggling with just the foundational standards? We've started to have some of those conversations of just like, what does that look like? You know, and, and it keeps coming back to like a competency-based system. And, and if we had these competencies, how could that leverage us doing this differently right now? We're, we're working with inside our standards and what our state standards are and, and trying to deliver the best opportunities for our kids through this environment. It's hard and it's, it's a challenge. And so I think as we move forward, I mean, there are some awesome things that we could do for, for some of our families, as, as you stated, that struggled in school, but are excelling in this environment, doing really well. And so I, I think there's some unique opportunities for us to think differently of what does that look like? And it, it definitely brings back the idea that school doesn't necessarily have to be just the four walls in which our kids are in. How do we teach them that learning happens anywhere, anytime? Uh, and, and learning and growing happens through curiosity. And so how do, we, how do we embark in this idea of getting our kids to be curious about asking questions. I think what distance learning has done, especially in our fourth and fifth graders, is it really has forced them to have to ask some questions rather than just be so dependent on the teacher every day, being able to just be in the classroom and be in front of them. Like some of our kids are having to ask some questions that get them thinking um, and articulating what is it that they're struggling with and what is it that they need. I think this is a really good conversation because it does come down to that perception of how quickly we are moving uh, compared to in the classroom and uh, virtually. And what I have found is that if you're just measuring against the standards that you're trying to teach and you're teaching them explicitly, then yes, doing it virtually is going to take a lot longer. But if you shift your mindset a little bit like you're talking about and go to more of a competency approach where you value and recognize learning no matter where it happens and no matter how it happens, then I find that the distance learning approach, kids can actually learn a lot faster than they could in the classroom. And so what's so fascinating to me about that is that if you take this different approach and you think about it differently so that you're not thinking about we have to get through this much content in this much amount of time. And now you only have a 20 minute small group meeting with them, but instead you say, we're going to value anything that the kid learns, no matter how they learn it and we'll take it. Then that changes because then you don't have a small amount of time. You now have an infinite amount of time for kids to learn something and your mindset on that can really change 
how you perceive whether or not kids are learning and what their growth is. Does that make sense to Travis? Yeah, absolutely. I think you're spot on. I think with any sort of shift in education, it really comes back to our mindset and our frame in which we're seeing things through because it comes back to if, if I'm seeing this through what, what I believe or what I experienced, then yeah, distance learning is going to be a train wreck. Like it's going to be one of the hardest things you've ever done as a professional. But if you come at it from seeing it from the frame of how can we still engage, still provide in a learning opportunity for these kids that are, are at home for different circumstances and still have them feel valued and feel what they're doing is valued, that's a completely different mindset than, well, I'm just going to get through all of this curriculum and those parents are going to have to figure this out with us and they're going to have to do their work because I can't be with them every day. We, we don't have conversations like that. Our team is so on the other side of that of focusing on what is it we can do to support our families? What are the resources we can give them to help them at home? Maybe it's, maybe it's helping them set schedules. So we've sent home templates for them of how to set a daily schedule and how to write in like, okay, you've got your math block for teaching time at 920 to 940. Great. After that at 940, you're going to go from 940 to 10 o'clock and work on your math assignment or work on your math activities. And so really trying to even coach our families through how we would do it in the classroom. We would build these routines and structures with our learners, set expectations, and, and the hope in the end for us on where, where my mindset is, letting them independently drive it, letting them feel empowered to make those decisions on when, when do I need to do this or how can I show my learning for this. John Cat Educational supports high-quality teaching and learning by providing publications that are research-based, practical, and focused on the key topics proven essential in today's and tomorrow's schools. The latest John Cat publications include a book whose bold, transformative ideas amaze and infuriate people around the world, according to one reviewer, a title from Global Leaders in Curriculum Planning, Practice, and Retrieval, one book that says stop talking and start doing with regard to teacher well-being, and much more. These books used by educators of all roles across North America and worldwide amplify fresh, engaging voices with practical strategies to create transformative change. Learn more in our show notes at jethrojones.com slash podcast. During COVID, every teacher is a new teacher. That's why innovative school leaders are turning to TeachFX, whose professional learning platform doubles student engagement online or in person. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash transformative principle. I created a new podcast with my friend Frederick Lane called Cybertraps. We are exploring the myriad risks and adverse consequences that can arise from the use and misuse of digital devices and electronic communication tools. Please subscribe to the Cybertraps podcast, and if you like it, please give us a rating. Here's an excerpt from an interview with Eric Stevens on the value of identity and being ethical in our work with underserved populations. If I approach my research with the intention of helping a group of people, but I'm using the data that they themselves have created and have been replicated by their, their own personal identity, replicated over and over and over and over, my research is already flawed ethically.
Some people, that's not a big thing. For me, it was problematic because I didn't want to feel like I was exploiting people, but I still wanted to help. What I ended up creating was I wanted to understand the prison system at the language level across time um, and across space in the United States. Um, Basically, I wanted to understand if we send a person to prison, we're sending them to a correctional facility um, with correctional officers. And we give them handbooks to say, hey, this is what you should be doing. What I wanted to answer was at the language level with the technical documents that we hand to um, an inmate, what are we correcting them to? To what standard are we asking them to be at the language level? Check out more from this interview at cybertraps.com slash seven. A couple of weeks ago, a friend and mastermind member posted this on Twitter. He said, in the fall, I decided to join a mastermind group with Jethro. To be honest, I was skeptical of what a mastermind group would benefit me as a leader. Now, I can't imagine a week without the support and learning I have gained from the crew. Grateful to be part of the family that forces me to be open and honest about my leadership and receive feedback to grow on. I hear people say all the time that they are skeptical of what a mastermind group can do. I get it. It took me a long time to join a mastermind group for myself. But when you are feeling lonely, like an imposter, or not up to the monumental task of shaping the lives of a thousand young people, it makes a difference being able to join a group of people who know how you feel and know how to help you. So I'd love to have you join us. Go to jethrojones.com mastermind, and let's schedule a time to talk about how the mastermind could help you. That's jethrojones.com mastermind. So I think you're absolutely right. When we start to focus on our mindset of how are we going to approach this shift in education, it really can come down to really thinking about our past experiences. We have to put those, we have to set those aside and really move to this idea of asking the simple question, what if, what if we did this or what if we did this? Because the what if question really requires us to it engages our brain differently than if I just came out and said, Hey, tomorrow we're going to try doing this. Well, when I say that to my staff, their first answer is, but I've got John and Sally and Sue who cannot do that. Like that's just never going to work for them. And this is not going to help them. So again, reframing our questions and asking that, what if, what if we attempted to do this? Now it engages a conversation with our teachers around the idea of, This is what could work. This is what we're going to, these are the barriers still. And this is how we could get through the barriers. Well, and the big difference between having kids in the classroom and teaching them all those, you know, self-management skills is that you can monitor that directly. The teacher can walk around and teachers do walk around and make sure the kids have filled that form out, quote unquote, correctly. And when the kids are at home, then you have to make a decision about what you're going to monitor because you can't see their paper and see if it's working. And for some families, that that schedule that you so kindly sent out may just be a complete waste of time and they're not going to do that. And the the reality is, is that's always been the case. Those things have always been hit and miss and 
the reason why they have worked in the classroom is because there's somebody there enforcing it and monitoring it, making sure that it happens. Whereas now these things are happening at home and you just can't monitor that because you're not there. And so that's just all there is to it. And that that's a totally different way of, of approaching the issue. And so the, the focus really needs to change and be on the different ways that you can, that you can recognize what is happening. And so getting your staff to be open to that question of what if, how do you make that happen so that they can bring some of these ideas back into the classroom when kids do come back to school? Even though I think we can probably talk about this more in a minute, there are going to be lots of kids who aren't going to come back to school and they're going to prefer to keep this virtual environment regardless of whether or not there's a vaccine or however, you know, things, things play out for the rest of the pandemic situation. Yeah. So I think to address that first question of the mindset for our staff, it starts with just recognizing and empowering them to make some decisions. I think too often school leadership, we, we sometimes make decisions that are pushed down to staff versus staff driving them. And, and I think of the book lead like a pirate and in there, Beth and Shelly really talk about the idea of like, if staff help build it, they're less likely to destroy it. And that is something that has just always stuck with me from that book of, you're absolutely right. I'm less likely to destroy something if I was part of the conversation, if I was part of the building process of this, because I want this to be successful. I don't want the ship to go down, but I will destroy the ship or I will say some things that maybe aren't positive when something is forced down to me, because now I'm sitting there analyzing, well, they want us to do this. Well, don't they know that this, this, and this isn't going to work? Well, that what if mindset really comes into when a teacher comes into my my office and says, hey, I'm thinking about changing my schedule and here's why, and here's what I want to do. And the first question I ask them is, is that what is best for your kids? And when they say yes, then I'm like, let's do it. Let's try it. And I said, if, if it doesn't work, we'll adjust, we'll change it. But you've got my back, I've got your back, and let's go at this and see if we can make a difference and change something up. Um, For example, I've got a kindergarten teacher who's teaching distance learning. First time five-year-olds have ever been in school. And we didn't know what what this was going to look like when we built this virtual academy. And we talked about it. And she goes, I think the only way I can do this is if I have a morning group and an afternoon group. And I try to keep the, my kindergarten kids on longer, but I'll do brain breaks. I'll do little exercise activities, but it will be less transitioning for them and their families will know, okay, my kid is in the morning for school, afternoon for their independent work or afternoon for school, morning for independent work. I was like, let's give this a shot. Let's see what happens. And it worked. Like she, she made some tweaks throughout the time, but she brought that idea And she was able to then drive it from there. If things weren't working, she was thinking about how to fix it. She wasn't coming to me to try to fix or solve all the issues. And I think that is something that I hope these five teachers take back to their schools when they go back in person, if if that is next year for them, or if they continue teaching in our distance learning. But I hope they take that back because they've been empowered. They've had the ability for this year to really ask questions. What if I tried this? Or what if we did this? And then reflect, grow from that experience, and then do it again and apply a different strategy to it. And so 
I think the biggest thing we can do as leaders is really support our staff and empowering them to drive this, to drive change. And so that mindset shift has really come because we've empowered our staff to think about the questions, to think about how could they make school look differently if that's in our personalized learning environments that we have or now in our virtual academy that we've started. Uh, Really this idea of them driving it and, and helping build it for our kids and our families. Well, and, and when you have that opportunity to to make decisions and, and have input, then it really changes your relationship, not only that you don't want to destroy it, but that you're more committed to making it work than if it's somebody else's idea. And I think that that is where you have to have that balance of support from an administrator perspective of allowing people to take those leaps and, and try those new things. Then you also have to allow them to try them out for as long as they can until you know they're not working anymore. That's where I think there's some real power in being able to say, this is what we believe. This is how we're going to do it. And if you have an idea, you can run with it and we're going to let you run with it until you decide that you're done. And and that takes some courage and some dedication from the uh, leadership in the school or district to make that happen. It doesn't come just like totally easily because we haven't been trained to lead people that way, unfortunately, (laughs) even though that is a great way to do it. We haven't been trained to do things that way. And in any time we can, we can do that. I think it's going to be, to be much more successful. I agree hundred percent because I think you're spot on when you say that, you know, we haven't been trained to lead that way because we haven't. It's crazy to think about, but I mean, when you think of the the issues that happen in schools, a lot of it comes down to, you know, just misunderstandings, not not feeling valued. And so I think in a profession that is super hard, it's the teaching profession is is challenging at times. It's also very rewarding. I don't see myself in another profession. But it comes down to just just feeling valued, feeling appreciated for your thoughts, your what what you can bring to the table as a professional. And so I think the more we can do that, the more we can lean into our staff and say, okay, this is the problem we're facing. What can we do? What does this look like? And then, like you said, giving them time. That that's the biggest thing that we can come from this. Because here's the deal. Learning is still happening. Engagement is still happening. It's looking different than how maybe you and I went to school, but learning is still happening. We can make it better. We can make it stronger, but that comes from reflection. That comes from growth. And so we just got to give our staff time to, to wrestle with those things of what's working and maybe what's not working and then give them the flexibility to, to try something new and not feel like a failure when something they thought was going to work doesn't work. Like that's when you got to be the biggest cheerleader and say, Hey, you tried something new. You, you gave this a chance, you ran its course and now you're reflecting on it. That's the best thing I can ask for. Uh, because now you're going to come back and it's going to be even better because of what you now know. That piece of being able to, um, to give them time to reflect and see how it goes themselves Um, that I think is just so valuable. I'm so glad you brought that up. If if you give them time to come to their own decision, 
then they're going to come to that decision themselves. And instead of you saying this didn't work because they can, and then instead say, you know what, this didn't work because, so I'm going to make this adjustment. And the speed at which they can make those adjustments is so much better than how we could do it. If we were the ones trying to like coach them in a certain way. And again, and again, this really comes back to the idea that if you do the same things with kids, then they come to the same conclusions and they figure things out. And then they're, they're able to figure out bigger and bigger issues that they, that they wouldn't have been able to do before. So I've spoken a couple of times on the podcast about how I really believe that that student driven learning is the, is the way that education should be. And the only reason it's not is because we're just focused on this factory model of everybody getting the same thing at the same time in the same way. And that's not really beneficial for, for a lot of kids. And it's great for the adults and it's great for the system when we can ensure that that's the case. So I started a little micro school this school year um, and my kids have been doing that. And I got to tell you, some of the things that they have learned have just blown me away. My daughter wrote this Thanksgiving essay and combined the things that we've been teaching her spiritually with the things that she's been learning secularly. And she's only nine. And I just could not believe what she was able to make sense of. And nobody told her to write an essay, Travis. <laughs> she just she just thought that she should do that. And it was a full page long. It had good grammar. It had decent spelling. But more importantly, the concepts, the things that she was saying were so incredibly incredibly powerful and so mature, so much more than a nine-year-old could do. And if she were in a regular school and had to write an essay, I I don't know that it would have been, in fact, I'm sure because I've read kids' essays when they're nine years old, there's no way it would have been as good or as deep if it would have been an assignment. And as my wife and I have looked at our kids and taken a step back and allowed ourselves to expand the view of what counts as learning, it's been this incredibly amazing experience where we've seen things that we just didn't know they were even capable of. And it's just, it's incredible to see it happening. And I'm just so excited about the things that can happen with that. Yeah. And that's awesome to hear that you know, you're seeing it in your own children. And just, uh, again, it comes back to why was she able to write that paper, the love of learning, you know, and I think too often, we suck the love of learning out of our kids, because of the system in which we're, we're tied to, you know, and so, again, when we can, when we can infuse and bring the love of learning back, I mean, I, I share all the time when I, when I work with schools or I present is my five-year-old can sit at his legal table for 20 minutes, free play, free build, and make these incredible things and then come and tell me a story of why he did what he did. But I do know that as he goes through the system by about second grade, that's gone. And that love of curiosity, that love of learning is going to be gone because we are going to put them through such a strict rigmarole of this is, these are the things you have to do. And, and we don't embrace our kids for who they are. I mean, any parent out there that is listening that has two or more kids understands that those two kids are two or more kids are not anywhere the same. 
their interests are different, the way they learn to walk was different, they crawl at different ages. So then why all the way up till they start school, is it okay that our kids all start different things at different times? But then once we get to school, gosh, if my kid isn't at the 80th percentile or 90th percentile, something's wrong. Like that teacher's not helping my kid or I can't get there. You know what? That's a different conversation. It's not about your kid against the 90th percentile kids in the nation. It's about your child and what can we do for your child. And I've always found going into meetings with parents who maybe are a little frustrated with personalized learning or what their child is doing, the reason they're frustrated is because they're comparing their child. As soon as we sit down at that meeting and we can have a conversation just about who their child is, what their child's capable of doing, and where we're seeing them grow, now it's a whole different conversation. They're shocked at how much information we know about their child. But again, when we change our mindset and how we want to support our kids, engage our kids in school, that mindset can lead to so many more open doors for us to take and really build some capacity with our kids as well as our staff about what learning really looks like. Absolutely. I am saying uh, so many times during this pandemic that you know, whenever we talk about learning loss or learning gaps or anything like that, none of that stuff exists for any individual student. It's all something that we make up because we have an expectation of kids compared to other kids. When we measure kids just on their own, they always learn the next thing they need to learn in that moment. And it's only when we compare them to others that any learning gaps or or falling behind or any of that stuff ever comes up because all the time, they're learning at their own pace and at their own speed, no matter what we do. And the way that I personally learned this, because I'm not not a genius, but my own daughter who was born with Down syndrome made us recognize that she's going to develop differently than everybody else. And it doesn't mean that she's behind, though we could think of her that way. It doesn't mean that she's dumb, though we could think of her that way. It just means that she's going to learn in her own way at her own time. And there have been times when she has learned things in an amazing way and it's been awesome. And there have been other times where, you know, we've spent five years trying to teach her about money and she still doesn't get it. And maybe that's something she's just not going to get. And, but we don't know that yet, but instead of us saying, well, she doesn't know how to, how to count out money appropriately, doesn't know what a dime or nickel is. Therefore she's dumb and we can't, we have no hope for her. We're just recognizing that she's not there yet. And when she gets there, if she's 35 and she gets there, I tell you, Travis, we're going to celebrate it because that's going to be exciting. Now, the problem is, like you said, we compare kids to others. And so we waste all this time worrying about how our kid is compared to another kid when really we need to focus on them and their own personal growth, not comparing them to anybody else. And for some reason, that's really tough for us to do. And we always go back to that comparison, but it just doesn't help at all in the end. And, yeah, it doesn't. And, and if anything, it, it hurts some of our kids from reaching their full potential because of that. And that and that breaks my heart. I tell parents all the time, like, I, I'm so passionate about personalized learning and, and really changing structures and, and systems in schools because I believe every kid can learn. I go to bed every night and I believe that how they're going to learn, when they're going to learn is going to be different. 
And we've got to be okay with that and knowing that we can support them differently as they develop and when they're ready for that next piece of, of information. Yeah, absolutely. This has been a really great conversation, Travis. The final question I have is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative principal? That's a big question. But this week, I would challenge principals to simply just pause and go into some classrooms and watch your staff do what they do. I, I, I learn every time I go into our classrooms or into our learning studios. I learn something every time when I'm in there just to pause and reflect on what is happening versus going in there with any sort of agenda or any sort of motive of I need to see engagement today or I need to see collaboration today. I would just encourage a principal this week, set some time aside and every day jump into some of your classrooms and just enjoy what your staff is doing, but then recognize that through writing them a little note uh, of what you saw what you are encouraged by, what you, what you think, what you saw. I have little cards that say, thanks for daring to fly. And every time I go into a classroom and I see something, I always write them a thanks for daring to fly because I knew they took a risk. I knew they tried something different and I wanted them to notice that I noticed it and I appreciated them doing it. Even if it was a train wreck, even if it was a mess, it's okay to celebrate that they tried something different. They took something and did something with it. Celebrate that. And then you can have the reflective questions later. But this week, get into a classroom, see your staff. But when you go in, just pause and enjoy your time in those rooms and then follow up with an encouragement note to your staff. Excellent. What Great advice. I appreciate it. And if you'd like to learn more from Travis, you can follow him on Twitter at Travis Lape and uh, get show notes for everything that we talked about here at jethrojones.com slash podcast. Travis, once again, thank you so much for being part of Transformative Principle. Hey, thanks for having me. It was a great conversation. Thank you to our valued partner, John Cat Educational. If you are a leader looking to make transformative change by providing yourself and your leaders and teachers with professional development that is research-based and rigorous, yet easy to digest and full of practical strategies, check out the latest publications from John Cat. Visit us.johncatbookshop.com to find information on bulk orders or learn much more in our show notes. You can also use the code TRANSFORMATIVE to save a bundle at us.johncatbookshop.com. School principals across the country are using TeachFX's virtual PD and job-embedded feedback to boost student engagement during COVID. With TeachFX, teachers get eight times more feedback and generate 144% more student engagement on average in a school year with no additional work for school leaders or teachers. To learn more about TeachFX and get a special offer, visit teachfx.com slash principal. Do you want to simplify your school's technology, save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE 
to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? You need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com BE.